Welcome to She Been Ready, the podcast. She Been Ready is a conversation, a declaration, and a clarification that Black women have always led. On this podcast, I, Dr. Wendy Williams, educator, psychologist, leader, and auntie, will be joined by Black women who lead and those who have been led well by them. So, you don't have to get ready when you stay ready, and you can trust in the leadership of a Black woman because she's been ready. And can I say, <laughs> yes, and what's also within what Miriam said, and, and Wendy, what you just illuminated that happened to me, okay. this infantilizing of the Black mm-hmm. woman. You know we can go directly back to enslavement. Yeah that type of mentality and in my case yes you know I would have uh senior white female colleagues oh I'm so worried about you because I chose to also remain teaching at the high school level okay while I was a tenure track professor Mm -hmm. I'm a high school teacher Mm -hmm. that's what keeps me relevant Mm -hmm. and you know uh, I the the open door students would start coming in all kinds of students not just black students Latino students Asian students so there was this traffic coming into my office. There was me running off of campus to do my high school teaching, running back to do my night teaching. And then they would say, you know, I'm just so worried about you. How are you doing with your writing? And then when, and, and I want to say what complicates it, mm-hmm. I'm kind of calling out where I am, but one of my senior colleagues, mm-hmm. my professor from 17 years ago, oh. well, I was actually a doctoral student. I mean, uh, a master's student of this person. Mm-hmm. And as I think about being a master's student with that person and also being a doctoral student in the program where this person also went, the infantilizing started then, mm-hmm. in my doctoral program. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like a full-grown woman. I had been in corporate for 13 years when I decided to make the shift. So if I'm coming to you and asking you to sign my form or paper for me to do whatever I need to do, you will not talk to me like a child mm. and, and not being able to speak to us as though we're children in constant need of guidance is what angers them too. Yes. And then yes. when we have the audacity to thrive and to, in spite of, I call them boulders, forget about the marbles right. that are thrown in our path. Yes. That makes them angry. Yeah. And I have experienced that. And I've experienced that by, I heard uh, my colleagues talking about me. I was in my office. They didn't know I was in my office oh. right next door. But, you know, in time I came and I, I talked to all of them about this. I, I've confronted them about this. Mm. It was very hurtful yes. because I'm someone who tries her best to bring love and to bring joy. Mm-hmm. And here's someone refer to my work as shit. And for someone to say I should be bowing down and kissing their feet for all they've done for me. I want to tell you that rocked me for about two years. Mm. So, and even then I stayed. Why did I stay? Because here I am. My mom is with me. Yes. I'm doing well. Mm-hmm. I've got a daughter that, you know, is trying to get from high school through college. So I'm not going to interrupt my life because first of all, I'm an accidental academic. <laughs> there, I did not plan to be in the academy. So since I am here, and it's working for me in other areas, I'm not going to let you chase me away. Mm-hmm. I almost want to say that's all you got. Yeah. 
So when we're able to know who we are and whose we are and know that these tricks will keep coming, mm-hmm. yeah. um, that is what I think gives us, right, mm-hmm. the courage, the power, the fortitude, the resilience to stay mm-hmm. because we do recognize all those things Wendy, you said earlier. We have family who depends on us. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, we're, we're doing our thing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I do think, Mary, what were you about to say? No, I did all of that. All of that? Just all Ashe? Yes. <laughs> Amen. You know, so I think, you know, can we just chalk it all up to like low self-esteem by our colleagues <laughs> being in competition? Like, is it personal? I feel like there's systemic and structural here too, in terms mm-hmm. of what's shaping Black women's experiences, Black folks' experiences in academia, because I'm always impressed with understanding i like to study power i watched scandal for years just enjoying the moves mm-hmm. like the moves i'm like and what you about to do and what you gonna do you know i love it and that i see a lot of it just in these spaces too they're highly political because okay. there are people here and the racial politics are there as well i where someone has to be authorized i had a girlfriend i uh who uh, worked in new york and um uh in one of the cunies professor doing really well and literally by uh by a black man was stopped when she was when I said trying to just trying to park your car the barrier to parking your car and making her late to a meeting literally so who's authorizing him to act like this with her they don't act like that with anybody else certainly not people who don't look as close to him as her you know in terms of race what's going on there there's 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 something in the air and in the water that makes it okay for him to think that he could do that with her and not lose that job because mm-hmm. my sense is he knows not to do that with other colleagues, maybe other colleagues with less access and privilege and even, or, you know, power than she has in that situation, but he can't read her as power because she looks like a little black girl with her braids and her skin that's not wrinkling too fast. So and like, what's only, going on there? Not only would he not lose the job, yeah. it's a possibility he can get a promotion. Hello. Because he's just, right, right, right. And, and as you were talking, and I'm so grateful to be here with two sister psychologists, mm-hmm. my was certainly there's internal racism at play. Oh, uh-huh. Daniel, yeah. you know, Beverly Daniel Tatum tells yeah. us it's in the air, it's in the clouds, it's in everything. Mm-hmm. So it's a bit of that, but it's also what he studies to see what's happening that's to right. black bodies on campus. And yeah. that's the script yes. that he's going to follow yes. indeed. And he knows that it's not happening to the white males, the, the white females, and so forth. So it's kind of like the unspoken just watching mm-hmm. of what's sanctioned. Mm-hmm. That's my that's my take on it. Mm-hmm. But I know as psychologists, you can go deeper. Hmm. No, I, I think honestly, for me, that's I immediately thought right, sort of the the internalization right of patriarchy and racism mm-hmm. and and you know ableism and heterosexism, mm-hmm. all of it. Um, and and I hope that we continue to sort of build out that piece of the conversation as we talk about Black women. One of the mm-hmm. things that's noted um, and certainly had experiences with as we think about sort of strategies of resistance, refusal, recovery, all of it, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. Um, are the ways in which, as uh, Wendy, as you pointed out earlier, that folks attempt to survive those systems. And for mm-hmm. some folks, right, they think the blueprint is to um, align with the status quo. Yes. So they will internalize and reenact, right, some yes. of those harmful um, yeah. systems of oppression mm-hmm. amongst right or you know relative to other black women 
And mm. I've heard both stories too, right? From mentees and also observed it. And it's um, something that I've talked about, you know, some of my other colleagues of color about as well in terms mm. of just wanting folks to understand, right? That the way you're moving, the way that you're interacting with folks right now, you know, it, it, and compromising other people of color. So we're talking about black women with black women, if we're going to be really specific, mm-hmm. right? Those who have internalized, right? The systems and the status quos and then show up um, I call it um, folks who are, we um, know in our field, Dr. Janet Helms um, has a concept. She talks about white heterosexual male privilege, which she calls WIMP. And I call it internalized <laughs> WIMP, right? Folks who internalize, right? That those sort of systems and structures and then act in that way. Um, and I don't know how conscious or unconscious. Some of them may be, right? Aware they are, yeah. what it is that they're doing, but it's harmful to them as well as harmful to other folks. And that's mm-hmm. also, I think for me, mm-hmm. um, painful to watch and to witness, but I do mm-hmm. think there's something about the system. Yes. Right, where folks are just trying to figure out how to navigate. And unfortunately, too often, right, they're mm-hmm. saying, okay, well, if I just reinforce or kind of do what 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 the system and what other people do, right, it, what have defined as being successful, et cetera, without realizing again, like you mm-hmm. just one has to know thyself, right? Yes. To know that these systems and structures were were built and constructed in a particular way. And it was never about you. So you even trying to do that. Right, mirror that, emulate that is is not ever going to get you, you know, the same mm-hmm. outcome. But also, it's just it's, it shouldn't be the goal. Mm-hmm. That's not the blueprint. Um, mm-hmm. So that is something that I think for me that also, as I think about people of color, right, and that work within and across the institution and the ways in which we can perpetuate, yes, um, and align with the status quo is also being harmful. So we have to, you know, remain aware. Right? It takes away from our ability to build community in our maroon societies. That's which right. is the only way that I navigated my own academic experience and certainly was the way that I na- navigated um, my career in academia. I mm-hmm. called it Black women, like on the phone line in the background, different institutions, different, like, get on, who do you know? Get on the phone. We're going to negotiate her salary. We're going to do this. We're going to get the, That was the only way, yeah. right, um, that I was able to survive and also be validated, right, and mm-hmm. the experiences that I was having. You know, Miriam's sisterhood saves lives. It does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sure. Wendy, just want to thank you because she been ready is a manifestation of sisterhood saving yes. lives. Um, so thank you. And the last thing I'll say, which for this part, is that any student who's hurt me mm-hmm. has been a student of color. Mm-hmm. And that was particularly when I was an assistant professor, I think. I was seen as expendable. I was also in a place where no one had gotten tenure in my program for mm. 25 years. Mm. So I don't think there was an expectation, you know, for me, when I when I came to where I am now, uh, during my interview, I had one publication. I, di- I didn't know what the academy, again, I was in corporate. Accidental, accidental. When I say I'm an accidental academic. Yeah. And so I walked into this space not understanding that so many people, it took me years to figure out that there were about five or six people who did not get tenure. And I'm talking about white women, black women, uh, uh, white men, no one, no one. So, uh, and they, I also had been, um, another way that it works when you're young in the profession, young meaning not age, but mm-hmm. in title, Mm-hmm. Uh, there were certain courses that I was not allowed to teach. I was not a, a program manager. And so I would not be um, assigned courses that would have doctoral students. I was assigned a diversity course, the majority of master's students. And of course, I made my way with that, right? Mm-hmm. 
But that was another thing that um, I don't think doctoral students valued me because I was not teaching the courses that would help further their theoretical grounding, their methodological understanding, all of these things, you know, epistemologies. That was not what I was teaching. I was teaching the master's level courses, trying to get people to face their racism. Right. So my colleagues were off teaching the seminars Mm -hmm. And interacting with them would put them in a situation that they would then be dissertation sponsors. And so as a result of that, what also happens with Black women as we overdo it, we OD on service, mm -hmm. um, and we also feel a responsibility for all students, I ended up being on over 157 dissertations in my 14 years from where I am. And part of that was uh, certainly wanting to help students, but also looking for a sense of belonging and purpose that I'm here to help the next generation. I'm not necessarily having an opportunity to do it where I am in my program. Mm -hmm. so that's why I always consider myself a citizen of the college, because I literally have worked with almost every department. Mm -hmm. So th there's different ways, the infantilizing, the keeping you from teaching courses that would put you in a space of uh, respect mm -hmm. for the doctoral students. And that certainly happened to me. Yeah, it's those barriers, boulders, marbles, right? That are creating the structural limitation because as you're saying, if you need this exposure to doctoral students, and I'm gonna say, I go back to power. If mm -hmm. you're not put in a position to have power over the doctoral students, then they will not respect you because we are in, you know, and I don't believe that as a life, Absolutely. Right. But I do understand it as a person living within the Western world, okay. United okay. States and the ways that its organization systems and institutions are structured. So if you do not have power over their ascension through the program, i.e. they are in your class and you grade and you evaluate and grade their work and their behavior, determine whether or not they can go on to the next step then they're not likely to respect you, but they're also not likely to be exposed to your brilliance to know that they would want to have you. But listen, you don't even have time because you got these other 107 that you've been on. Like, so there's this part too, but yeah. also your position to having to, it's it's literally having you only teach the master's level courses, uh, put you in a 63 cent to the dollar situation mm. at that job where you're needing to do more or you feel like you have to do more to be seen, to be heard, to be respected as an authority. Um, and you're literally probably working many more jobs compared to your colleagues. Absolutely. It's all subconscious thing. That's what I want to say to, to Wendy, to you and to Miriam. It was subconscious. I was yeah. not saying, let me, you know, do all of this. I, what I'm, how I'm speaking now, this is wisdom that I've gotten years later because mm -hmm. I just came in with the intent, I'm going to do a great job. Mm -hmm. it's what I've always done. I did a great job in corporate. Yeah. I was a great job as a high school teacher. I just want to serve and do a great job. So yeah. everything I'm sharing now is in retrospect. And I'm embarrassed to say it took me most of my career in the academy to figure out this was happening. Mm -hmm. And it was during sabbatical, which you all know I'm still on it, that I, I got the clarity mm. what I'm able to say right now. It was while you were resting that you could oh, reflect um, and look back on what happened and make different agreements with yourself about how and what will happen moving forward. And people say hindsight is twenty twenty. Oh, yeah, no, so it is. <laughs> yeah, the pandemic erupted, and I had yes, yes. Even though I was still doing things, I was still uh, you know, 
mommy, yeah. a young child. I was still teaching online, but when I had the space to not navigate, yes, Mariam, all the, that I was able to say like, no, this, no, and I actually felt it in my body, right, mm -hmm. right. So like being at home and not having to, it was like, oh no, I enjoy teaching. It's yeah. the meetings and the, you know those other things. And it was when mm -hmm. I had the space, right. So you go through your programs, your work, etc., to really take a step back from the day to day, not commuting, none of it, right? I was like, yeah, no, this over here mm -hmm. is not worth my sanity, my my, you know, well-being um, does not define me and there has to be, right, another way. So listen to that voice, listen to that fire in your belly yeah. there, figure that cool. out. Cool. So, can we talk a little bit, we've, we've shared our experiences, we've shared experiences that we've witnessed for others we're likely not, it's not an exhaustive list because in yeah. as many ways as there are to hurt people, they happen to black women in America every day. Mm -hmm. But from our landscape, no. psychologists, thinkers, scholars, livers of life, lovers of life, why is this happening? <laughs> like what is, why, what, what's your best theor theorizing around like, why? Right. Well, I think fundamentally, <laughs> folks don't want us there. I think it's very basic. It's just These very institutions, basic. institutions, while they were built by our ancestors and folks who look like us, and that proven fact, um, when they were designed, mm -hmm. they were not designed with us in mind. And I would always say to myself, even without fully understanding that, and, and Wendy, this is in your work, just my very presence is an interruption. And that's why I call myself not a teacher educator. I refer to myself as a teacher interrupter. Okay. My very body is an interruption in the space. But also what I'm trying to do is get folks to interrupt their ideas about what teaching is, about who they're teaching, which is predominantly black and brown students. But but all of these spaces, we were brought to this country to be the laborers, yes. to go circle back to the beginning of the conversation, to use our bodies. Mm -hmm. And even when we would use our minds, like laying out Washington, D.C., and creating the cell phone and the computer and the icebox and the traffic light and all of that, <laughs> we still had been written in this country to be laborers, to be That's workers. Right. That's right. So I think that there is a level of resentment mm -hmm. that you're still here and you're occupying the levels that only white people have had for such a long time. So I honestly believe that this country has an inability mm -hmm. to really, really see us as fully human, to see us as fully intellectuals, and that we are seen as interlopers mm -hmm. in some of these positions. Yeah. That's on a very basic level. Of course, I want to go deeper with that, but that's that's my first response. Mm -hmm. I, I would agree. I think wholeheartedly. For me, it would it, it comes down to the fact that the the design, um, to use your words, Yoli, was never intended, and so the systems are doing what they were always intended to do, right? Mm -hmm. So to preserve, right, those that they were or the the space and place for those that they were built for, and um, yeah as folks have shown up in those spaces, um, I feel like the, in terms of energy, right? The energy to push, folks mm. right? Um, even though the rhetoric on the website, right? Or, or in the faculty meetings or, you know, sort of executive meetings are about, we need to diversify, even though we can look at, you know, the sociodemographics of college campuses, right? In terms of students and, and make mm. the argument of the need, 
mm-hmm. right, to ensure diversity in multiple ways um, in the academy. At the end of the day, hmm. systems were never designed for us to be there intentionally. And I think that's the piece. People Sometimes people sort of think that's by happenstance. That was intentional, mm-hmm. right? So ultimately, as we said, if I sort of like say like bottom line the issue, right? The, yeah. the systems are doing what they were supposed to do, which is sort of mm-hmm. pushing out, right? The folks, especially the folks that are coming in in an attempt to interrupt, mm-hmm. right? And to disrupt and to redefine um, yeah, the space. Hmm. We, all, we all think about um, wow. developing wow. racial literacy, right? Mm-hmm. Developing mm-hmm. racial literacy across mm-hmm. racial groups. It's a different process because of the, social cultural context what you know what white people will what literacy for them will look like um and what literacy for folks of color will look like mm-hmm. and also the the racial trauma attached to mm-hmm. this work we're often talking about the trauma experienced by folks of color but we're also in this conversation saying that it's our presence as black people, as black women, that's so disruptive and so problematic for folks. And I wonder, um, and for white, for systems that are uh, operating within a rubric of whiteness, I wonder if we might use our thinking a little bit, not too much, but thinking a little bit today to um, unpack what might be happening for whiteness, if whiteness were our client or our student. <laughs> <laughs> How might we explain to this individual, if it's, you know, uh, or this this group, what's happening for you? Yoli, you do the archaeology of the self. So you're doing this with teachers all the time. But if the if we were to look at the system as a client or someone preparing to do like how might we utilize our our theory making and our work and our scholarship, our intellectualism to mm. explain this person to themselves or explain this system to itself? No, Wendy, that's a powerful, powerful question and an important question. And that is the basis of racial literacy. Yeah. And what I seek to have people encounter, let's say, doing workshops, right? Um, and I think for the most part, what I'm finding as I'm listening to people taking this journey of racial literacy is the sheer shock that Black people are indeed smart and capable because it goes against everything that both they were taught and not taught. Mm. So there, what happens, and this is the labor, it's the labor of unlearning what you grew up all your life and then being detached to that learning, actually putting you above people. So I always say that it's akin to uh, um, a a type of personality suicide, right? Mm. That you are learning, you believing this for so long right, actually makes you feel really good. They do need to be saved. This is why I have to teach in that environment. I do need to help this person. And then when you realize, in fact, that that's all a lie, mm-hmm. it, it's a, it shakes your core. Mm-hmm. And most people cannot handle that. Certainly you cannot handle it without therapy. I want to say that because that's a, that is a complete shift and different perspective to how you know yourself. So I think that it, for me, what I'm seeing is that it fundamentally intersects with how the person identifies who they are mm-hmm. based on this racist system of who they're not, right? So yes. I am this, I am not Black, so I am not that. Mm-hmm. But then when, the, when you start doing the unlearning, and actually this is why historical literacy is important for my racial literacy model, you start learning histories mm-hmm. that you were never taught 
what are you going to do with that? So most people get totally afraid and shut down. Most people are in total disbelief. That is not true. And they get angry and passionate about it. Mm -hmm. And others are so completely sad and over, they don't know what to do with that emotion. And it really sends them into personal crisis. This is what I've been seeing. Powerful question. I feel like if I could just interject really quickly, Mary. Please, I'm done. Please please let me know if it makes sense. Because I'm in front of two incredible psychologists. So please let me know if it even makes sense. We appreciate your humility. And we are uh, we are here together, right? Uh, right. But I think that what you just said, Yoli, for a person who like their first in- interaction, the, for particularly the person who gets angry, is that they're likely to want to compete, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And how do you compete with someone who's been trained at the academy of stronger, faster, smarter? So Ooh. she was little, little, yeah, like little, little. <laughs> That's really hard. So that becomes another type of challenge point because you can't and that i think engenders more anger and i think actually creates some of the legitimization for the violence of why you think you don't like somebody miriam what do you think from a racial trauma (laughs) i would say right what i always tell folks right as a psychologist who has been thinking about right what we frequently refer to as racial trauma is I'm, we are not going to learn about that. We got to go back and start with histories. Yes. Slowly. So we, you're actually paralleling psychological theory. You could be a psychologist. That's right? your I told her that, Miriam, by the way. I said she yeah. is a psychologist. She yes. is. So yes. I go back and talk to folks, right, <laughs> to, to sort of understand right, outcomes, right, which is racial trauma. We start with history. Yeah. Start with racial history. And what you just described in terms of your observations actually Mm-hmm. align like directly with psychological theories that have articulated right the mm-hmm. development white racial identity development in particular correct right mm-hmm. all the developmental goal right in terms for white folks in terms of their racial identities mm-hmm. right is what we now refer to as sort of working towards this anti-racist identity mm-hmm. of the language of today right? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the language in the original theories i think non-racist identity nevertheless right the parallel mm-hmm. there but what the theory says, right? And it's it's uh, the theory really is sort of explaining different ways in which um, folks pay attention to sort of race-related dynamics or not, mm-hmm. right? How they're processing that information, what they're thinking about it, how they're um, what they're feeling, right, in relation to it, and how they behave. Mm-hmm. And that the if we think about the theory on a continuum, Yoli, what you were saying perfectly mirrors sort of the developmental trajectory. It's sort of like the the white person, right, who's oblivious. Right, in denial or maybe even naive, as you sort of thought they, they haven't been taught the history, as you said, right? They don't know. Then when they encounter information, people, right, um, situations that disrupt mm. what they thought, right? Or in terms of you know what they've been exposed to or the ideas that they've internalized, including racial biases, that leads to, as what you were talking, that leads to a schema that's referred to as disintegration, which I love the word because it's like the, the literal disintegration, right? Mm-hmm. Of what you thought you knew, but I think from an affective perspective, it absolutely, what we often see for folks who are operating from this lens or sort of schema of disintegration, meaning their, their previous world or, you know, in, with regard to race or their understanding has been disrupted. 
is this confusion and anxiety. And I think the other beauty about what you said is like, there's a crossroads is how I always teach white racial identity theory, right? With that awareness and that yes. aspect, yes. psychologically speaking, that's mm-hmm. just because humans, we don't want, you know, the discomfort, right? Are sort of naturally in some ways, right? Designed to try to go back to a place of calm mm-hmm. and homeostasis. And so what often happens from a, a, a racial perspective for some folks is that crossroads mm-hmm. doubling down on everyday racism, right? So taking in, as you just said, like the stereotypes, right? This, And then for other folks, what we find that are still, that that for many reasons, may be sort of still committed to their journey towards anti-racism, there is, as I've been talking to some colleagues, we've been talking about the grief yes. associated with, right? Like, again, this part of themselves and what they thought they knew, right? And their recognition, you called it sort of like the personality piece of like needing to set that aside. Mm-hmm. Um, so Wendy, mm-hmm. in terms of when you're talking about systems and, and like, this is the client, I systems have racial identities, yes, organizations have racial identities, yes, right? Yes, Which, they do. Systems, as I always tell people systems are made up of people, right? Collectively. Yes. So you have to understand, right? Yes. The individual and, 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 um, their sense of self, but also yes. right, in the collective space as well. But it, what you said just absolutely mirrors yes. decades, what has been articulated, right. With regard to this idea, Yoli. So we're, we're, we're right here. <laughs> yes. oh, thank you Miriam right I know that we use the terminology around racial trauma to talk about yeah. right the experience of what, what witnessing violence and and, yep. and and all the things on the bodies of mm-hmm. folks of color yeah but this grief and this loss that happens for white folks because I feel like that's what we are experiencing the the waste. Ooh. of their digestion of whatever Ooh. news they got about the day relative to race um, right. or about the society or the conditions or black back beliefs about race. Would you call that a trauma for them? What would you call that? Hmm. And are some of the things we've seen or seen and experiencing, is it a trauma response or is it something else? Wow. Because if we're all people with a race, they have to have racial counterparts i'm thinking that it impact their psychology too yeah. they and we're going to move off from this in a second because i you know this the point is not that but you know to focus only on 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 white people and their impacts but i do think from my standpoint in terms of a refusal and recovery perspective you need to know what you're working with and so you need to understand the insecurity the fear the under the grief whatever's going on for this person is what's creating these people creating that system that structure at work for you even in the academic workplace but what we call it even that, or what, what, what would we call it? I mean, I'm thinking of Robin DeAngelo's work. She kind of gets in and around, but doesn't, you know, quite, and maybe she doesn't feel like she can say these language. She's not a psychologist. I don't know. What do mm-hmm. y'all think? Well, from a non-psychologist background, I would say it probably <laughs> is traumatic. You know, this, having to disassociate yourself as you've known it, having to, if you are taught Native American people or savages or this or that, and then suddenly you are in community with Native American people who are brilliant. And then you realize actually mm-hmm. the land that you say is your home oh, no. really does not belong to you. The democracy you say you believe in is a system that <laughs> people are like, right. Right. Facts, hashtag facts or whatever, all yes. of this happens. Uh-huh. I imagine that must be traumatic. Right. In the same way, it's traumatic for Black folk. Mm. We All of this history is kept from us yeah. in our education system. And then suddenly we get this history 
oh my gosh, what do we do with all of this? Yes. You mean that we're the original mathematicians? We're the original scientists? And here it is. I, I say that I hate math because I've been told that Black girls don't do math. Mm. Like that can be a space of, when I say trauma, this kind of unsettling to the yes. core. Yes. And you have to figure out how do you move forward and without some kind of support system, other people to talk to, mm-hmm. what do you do with that? Some container that for it, right? Unsettling on the body. Yeah. Yeah. I would say trauma. Okay. <laughs> Here's what I'm going to say. I know. I can tell Mary in my head a nerve. <laughs> no. I think it's, it's, it's less about okay. like our understanding of trauma and what I oh. don't want to have happen is mm-hmm. for someone to misuse, right? Yes. Racial mm-hmm. trauma piece, because I've seen that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. So folks talking about white folks. Um, I mean, racial trauma. trauma, right? So that's not what we're talking about. We just want to no, 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 we're not. We're not. But I think not. from the perspective of how we understand how trauma impacts folks, there mm-hmm. is something very deeply, uh, we're talking about is unsettling, right? Sort of anxiety provoking those kinds of things, but it is at the core mm-hmm. um, in terms of the pain that's experienced and, you know, the dissonance, right? Yeah. That occurs. There's how I've heard. So let me just go here. How I've heard white folks that I've worked with directly, right? Sort of okay. describe this as a, we're sort of leading these process oriented groups is like, it's a total violation, right? And so it's because they're they're not just realizing that information, that the information that they thought they knew is wrong, but they're realizing the intentionality of why that information wasn't presented. And that piece, for, so for folks that make it that far, because be very clear, society does not reinforce that type of learning, right, and commitment. So for folks that make it that far, it is deeply sort of at their core disruptive mm-hmm. and they describe, right, this grief the grief being that, yes, I almost have to, the unlearning sort of leading to like, who am I? How do I define this? And how do I understand the other white folks around me? Mm. Right. And whiteness as a system. So when y'all bring in the sort of power piece for me is the difference when, when folks, you know, sort of look at this at a superficial level in terms of thinking about racial trauma, mm-hmm. power becomes right important for me as we think about the consequences. Cause I agree. And even if you look at racial identity theory, Right. In terms of the processes that happen, there's an unlearning for people of color too, right? The sort of yes. the overcoming yes. internalization, yes. which is also painful, but they're in, you know, sort of community and that's what helps them progress. For for white folks, given the way that society is structured, they're often grappling with, right, mm-hmm. their upbringing, their socialization and the loss of family members, friends, community, the other folks who, right, they may deem or see as mm-hmm. not being committed or doing the same work, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, or having the same insights. And mm-hmm. so it really does, right? Disrupt them in ways um, that they can viscerally, right? Physiologically feel. So I, I do want to honor that. I've seen the yeah. grief. I've had mm-hmm. folks talk about it and try to put words um, to it, especially so that they can remain committed to their journey. Mm-hmm. And I, I do believe, as I understand trauma, right? What trauma does that, yes, for folks, it can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, traumatic. The difference for me is yeah. what happens to your point, right? The, the, the racial violence that we see, or you said the waste, Wendy, to use your words, right? That we encounter for me, feels it's like about the access to power to do yeah. something. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right. To yeah. others. Yeah. Right. Um, and ultimately the systems that are in place to hold certain people uh-huh. to, uh, I don't know, heal. Mm-hmm. And for others that are like us that are just left out there. Mm-hmm. What I want to say just really quickly, Miriam, when you said for those people that make it that far, mm. what it hit in me is as a literary literacy person, seeing how books are being banned, mm-hmm. and even though it's this mm-hmm. monster liberty group, which is interesting because they've had nothing but scandal this past week. For sure. 
Okay, that's another podcast. Okay, okay. But the point is making it that far mm-hmm. and the deliberate actions of shutting down. First of all, our history is not taught as it should be or multiple histories, but the little that is there, the deliberate action of trying to shut it down and erase its presence from schools and then ban the books mm-hmm. that offer access to this type of historical knowledge. So this societal project constantly, which is an anti-Blackness project, is astounding. Mm-hmm. And we can see it at every turn, how it manifests and how it's bubbled up in our conversation here. 